Is there any way for us to tell the difference between a snake oil salesman and a true spokesperson for God? False prophets have plagued the people of God throughout their history. According to Christian scriptures, there were false prophets in the ancient kingdom of Israel. There were false prophets among the people while they were living in exile. And there were false teachers amongst the earliest Christian communities during the initial decades of the Christian church. In fact, the book of Galatians is written entirely against false teachers. The books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter are all written against false teachers. How are we to discern the voice of God amongst all the other voices that speak around us and even the ones that speak inside our heads? Well, that's the title of our sermon today. Laboring to Listen. So if you have access to a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to the Gospel according to Mark. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 1 through 8. The Gospel according to Mark was likely completed within 35 years of the crucifixion of Jesus. So Mark's not recording ancient history. We want to pay special attention to how the first of the Gospel writers decided to introduce us to what he has called the good news of Jesus. How will this start? If you have your Bibles open, I'll invite you to follow along as I read from Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading from the New International Version. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. How are we to discern the voice of God? How might we labor to listen when God speaks? Well, in these eight verses, I believe that there are three Suppositions, presuppositions, assumptions about the voice of God which underlie Mark's introduction to his gospel. And the first is this. God speaks selectively. God speaks selectively. Look back again at verses 1 through 4. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. When we read the scriptures, it seems like God was speaking all the time, like it just happened one after the other. In truth, God has spoken quite sparingly, and he was highly selective with respect to whom and through whom he chose to speak. 
So Mark begins his recounting of the gospel or the good news of Jesus by referencing three prophecies from the First Testament. He says Isaiah, but Isaiah is the last one. There are actually three references there. The opening phrase is a quotation from Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, which has been combined with a reference to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and is finished off with a citation from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The comment in Exodus was made according to the Bible's chronology in the 1440s BC. The statement in Isaiah somewhere between 600 and 500 BC, and the assertion in Malachi somewhere between 400 and 300 BC. And did you notice that Mark insists that all of those prophecies were being fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist in the mid to late 20s AD? So it took God over 1,450 years to fulfill what Exodus reported, and over 500 years to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied, and over 300 years to bring about what Malachi had predicted. That's a long time to wait. And even more, at the time of his ministry, John was the first person recognized as a true prophet of Israel in over 300 years. The truth is that the Bible includes far more years of God's silence and apparent inactivity than it does periods of God's overt activity in speaking through prophets. Far more. God can appear to be much more active in the time periods of the Bible, mostly because the prophets and apostles only wrote during periods in which God was highly active. But the truth of Christian scripture is that for most of recorded human history, God's voice has been muted and God's activity has been veiled. The Christian scriptures describe God as one who speaks only occasionally, and one who is highly selective with respect to whom and through whom he chooses to speak. It was over 300 years between the last prophet in the First Testament and the ministry of John the Baptist in the New. 300 years of silence for the Israelite people. That's not to say God wasn't there. He wasn't speaking through prophets. And the church has not considered a new book of Christian scripture for nearly 1,900 years. How are we to discern God's voice? Because God speaks selectively, we should be suspicious of any who claim to hear directly from God himself, and especially suspicious of those who claim to hear from God routinely. Very careful. So God speaks selectively. And that is not to say he does not speak, but he speaks selectively. The second of Mark's presuppositions appears to be this. God speaks when he does consistently. God speaks consistently. Look back with me again, if you would, to verses 1 through 6. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet. I'll send my messenger ahead of you who prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So God speaks selectively, but God also speaks consistently. Notice that for Mark, even when God himself arrived in the flesh, he fulfilled 
what had already been spoken. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, had already been written centuries before he ever became flesh in the person of Jesus. In Exodus and Isaiah and Malachi, the prophecies had been made. And when God spoke through John the Baptist, he spoke not a new word, but an old word renewed. Even John himself took on the form of an ancient prophet. He didn't do something new. He didn't have a new get-up for a new age, you know, or something like that. His preaching in the wilderness harkened back to the reality that true prophets of God were often pushed out of the community and forced to do their ministry outside of the city gates. It recalled, most likely, Israel's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It probably also implied something about them being delivered out of Egypt and into the wilderness to worship God, and probably more than even that. So where he decided to minister was not something new, but something old. And John's garb and his diet, he wore camel's hair, a leather belt, he ate locusts and wild honey. That recalled the dress and garb and diet of another Israelite prophet who lived 800 years prior to John, the prophet Elijah. And as the prophet who followed Elijah, a man named Elisha, ended up doing greater miracles than Elijah had done, so John insisted that a prophet greater than himself was sure to follow. This is a consistent pattern. God speaks consistently. Mark, at least in part, has implied that the people in John's day recognized him as a prophet because he wasn't doing or saying anything completely new. John was renewing in his own day that which had been done and said before in the history of Israel, and so the people flocked to him. I think it's probably hyperbole to say everybody in Jerusalem went, but certainly this is meant to say lots went. And one other critical observation. John was embodying another prophetic tradition of Israel. He was pointing the praise and glory away from himself and to someone else. John lived meagerly, he ate sparingly, and insisted that the true one to be praised and worshipped was yet to come. He did not seek glory for himself. In short, God has routinely through the history of Israel chosen to speak through the meek and the humble. And John was one of their number. God speaks consistently. If a person claims that God has said something entirely new to her or him that has never been said or understood before, we should be suspicious. God will not speak a word today that invalidates or calls into question a word he has spoken in the past. And because God speaks consistently, we should be wary of those claiming to have received new revelations. God speaks selectively. And God speaks consistently. A third presupposition that I see at work in Mark's introduction to the gospel of Jesus is this. When God speaks, he speaks confrontationally. God speaks confrontationally. Look back again at Mark 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Moving on to verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Throughout Christian scripture, when God speaks, 
when he actually speaks through a prophet, chooses Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the, the Apostle Paul, Peter, and so on, he rarely speaks encouragingly. God is selective when he speaks. He's consistent when he speaks. And when he's chosen to speak, almost all the time in Christian scripture, he usually does so when we are going off the rails. When we need to be challenged or confronted or called back to the way of life and love that leads to life. And this pattern follows with John the Baptist. John did not preach encouraging or soft-pedaled words. John prepared the way for Jesus by calling for repentance and forgiveness. And the original Greek word translated repentance in this passage is metanoia. It means a transformed or a changed mind, a reorientation of the thinking. And the Hebrew word which lies beneath it means to turn around or to turn back, repentance. John declared that their minds were in need of altering that their lives were in need of transformation, that they were walking on a road that would not lead them where they were hoping to go. In fact, so desperate was this need for John that he connected his call to repentance with the idea of forgiveness. The Greek word that underlies our English translation is aphesis. Aphesis. And it and the Hebrew that lies beneath it mean to be released, to be set free. What forgiveness means. Released, set free. John, as all the prophets before him, was declaring Israel's slavery to disobedience, to self-centeredness, in short, to sin. And he invited them to enter the waters of the Jordan River as a sign and symbol of their acknowledgement of their need for transformation and freedom. In the spring of 2013, I taught a class from a book by Dr. Daniel Doriani, entitled Getting the Message. You'll probably teach it coming up again soon. And in that book, Dr. Doriani argues that our first question when we come to the scriptures as readers of the text should not be, what does this text say to me? Should not be our first question. Instead, he insists we should be asking, what does this text say against me? What does it say against me? Dr. Doriani is reminding us to labor to listen to God's true voice. God's voice does not beckon us onward or encourage us forward. God's voice calls us home. And it will more often than not come from a direction, no matter how long we've walked with him, in which we are not presently heading. How are we to discern the voice of God today? God speaks selectively, God speaks consistently, and God speaks confrontationally. The Christian scriptures are the repository of, God's, of words that God has spoken throughout the history of Israel. And God has chosen the prophets of Israel and the apostles of Jesus to be his unique spokesperson. When God speaks, he recalls the words of the prophets and apostles. However, that's not to say that he won't speak new words. He continues to speak. But we need to be able to discern his voice. We must labor to remember that God speaks selectively. And this implies that God does not speak to or through every person who claims inspiration. 
no matter how sincere we may be in that claim, we should hold it with an open hand. God speaks rarely according to Christian speak, Scripture and very selectively. We must also labor to remember that God speaks consistently. So if we're to discern His voice today, we must become expert in the words He has spoken to and through ancient Israel. And finally, embrace the reality that when God chooses to speak directly, His most frequent communication is confrontational, calling us to repentance and forgiveness. So we must labor to be people who are anxious to be challenged. Those who want only to speak comfort to us. God says it sometimes. I mean, Jesus has comforting things. Paul, on occasion in his letters, will say encouraging things to help us to keep the faith. But more often than not, when God chooses to enter into history, to interfere directly himself in an overt and prophetic way, it's to course correct to stop us from going where we want to go, or to call us back to the true faith. And that's why I think we have a canon. The Bible can take us out of ourselves. 